1: Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz with me today, a very special guest. He is, of course, a former WWE superstar, NWA world television champion, and, of course, a political commentator you can see on Fox News and Fox Nation. He is, of course, just Tyrus. Tyrus, welcome in. How are you doing? I'm
0: oh, pretty good, man. How are you?
1: Doing good. Good. Sorry about all the uh, technical difficulties of uh, what's going on, but uh, what's going on in your world? What's the latest?
0: Uh, I mean, what I just came off of a successful pay-per-view with NWA, so I'm feeling good about that. Um, and then, of course, uh, book signings left and right because the success of the book is, is doing pretty well. And of course, um, having <clears throat> the number one late night comedy show on uh, TV doesn't suck either. So it's just a busy time. It's a good, you know, how it is it's all. Uh, it's all. It's all at once. It's, it's all peaks and valleys. It's never in demand, but I guess that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, of course, the book, Just Tyrus, uh, a memoir, just got it in today. So uh, awesome stuff here. Tell us a little bit about the uh, about the book.
0: Well, it's really, it's really about uh, accountability and how your reactions uh, dictate more about you than what people say about you. And I talk about that a lot in the book. Uh, the advice my grandmother gave me once, I was upset and um, got hit, basically got hit in the mouth. And uh, what she said to me, it's not what other people do to you. It's your reaction that you're judged by. And that always kind of uh, set home with me. And it's oftentimes when we do get uh, things don't go our way, our reaction is what people look at as the register. So uh, it's a lot about that. It's about just taking accountability for yourself. And uh, when you do have uh, hard, hard times and things do happen to you, blaming the other person, Or blaming the situation, you can't grow. So it's about, you know, looking at what you did and what you could have done better. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it, but if you always look at it, there's always something you could have maybe done differently. And if you put the onus on yourself, it's a lot easier to get through it and move on. Because you're not waiting for anybody else to apologize.
1: Yeah. How did the book come about? Like did you always wanted to write it or or you know, did the publisher want you to do it?
0: Um, no, I would always that was one of the things on my bucket list that I wanted to do when I uh Started doing comedy on Fox and um, political comedy at that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to try my hand at uh, writing a book. I've I've been successful in, in wrestling. I've been successful on TV, and uh, it was just one of the things that I wanted to do. Uh, and so I said, you know, I'm going to do it. And my goals weren't weren't that uh, lofty. I thought maybe if I broke into like the top 500 or something, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, you know, something like that. Uh, I didn't anticipate it's selling out the, you know, within the first, you know, six hours and, um, being number one on Amazon and New York times, bestseller and wall street journal and all that stuff. I, I wasn't anticipating any that it was, uh, surprising. I, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. Um, uh, but you know, um, it's a great, it's a great, um, uh, feeling to, you know, like you put your words out there and, and it's resonating and people are, are reading it the right way. Their, their reviews are uh, one of the things I read through a lot, and uh, especially on Amazon, uh, thousands of reviews, and it's kind of the same thing where uh, a lot of times we don't necessarily share the same genetic makeup or, you know, but the, we all have similar struggles and people recognizing like how they work through it, I think is uh, is pretty cool. So that, that I did, wasn't anticipating that as much either. So uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised and um, excited and already started working on my next project.
1: Nice, awesome! New York Times bestseller. Is it mostly like wrestling fans, political,
0: you know, fans, it's or a, it's a little bit of everything? It's people in some, a lot of them are people that uh, uh, from who are just basically walking. I'm going, huh, what's this? So it's it's a it's coming from all sides. Uh, it's nice. Uh, wrestling fans always support. Uh, they're they're very unique in that way, to where they kind of. Uh, rally around you and tend to, when you want to see you be successful. Uh, and then the same thing with Fox uh, news fans, and then just general fans that I've picked up along the way and, um, you know, from acting career and stuff like that. So it's a, it's, it takes, it's a lot of different people from a lot of walks of life. And, and, and I'm cool with that. I like that. You know, it's not a set, necessarily a set audience.
1: Hard to write it easy to write, like, ha- like just oh, in the experience just, of doing it.
0: Just- Hard, pain, Pain in the ass is the only way to describe it. Like it's just (laughs) you, the writing a book is just like anything else. There's a formula to it. And if you're trying to cook for the first time, (coughs) excuse me, or write for the first time, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And uh, I've always been the kind of person that wants to learn it as I go. I don't like, I don't really trust much in people trying to do something for me or like, uh, ghostwriter and things like that, because I'm always thinking, well, what if they get bored and just decide to fill in blanks? You know, it's my life. So I had a really great writing coach, uh, Chris Epting, who's really worked with me and continues to work with me. And it's a process, you know, and building the format and it's, it's a challenge and it's it's an it's an art form, but also it's a, it's a highly skill set and I had to learn on the fly. And uh, so it was frustrating at times. Uh, you know, you think that you, you have a direction and the book kind of changes and like you, you have a plan, but the plan is going to change. And by the time you finish it, you're going to have three or four different messages in your head thinking, well, maybe this way, this way. And then you present it. And uh, it, it, luckily for me, it went back to my original goal uh, of being accountability and, and owning your own stuff. So uh, but it's, it is a process. But you are I would I would encourage anyone, even if you don't publish it, uh, even if you write an op ed on yourself, if you don't want to do all the work. But I think everyone should write about their lives and there's look back on things and look at a perspective. And I think you'll have a better understanding, uh, not just of yourself, but also with some of the relationships you had. and a good way to look at, to learn, you know, to, to learn in the present is by focusing on what we've done in the past and learn from our mistakes. If you don't learn from it, then you're going to continue to fall in the same trap, you know, and if you continue to surround yourself with bad people and you don't learn from it, well, you're going to surround The people will change, but it'll be the same behavior. So, uh, it's a book, honestly, just about owning, owning your stuff. And, um, and you can, you can turn things around when they don't go your way.
1: Is it almost therapeutic in a way, you know, as you're writing it?
0: it? Yeah, it is writing your own book. And I don't know if my book is therapeutic to anybody else. I wouldn't even try to act like that. But, but for me, yeah, it is therapeutic in in a sense because you're working through your own stuff. And as you go back through memories and, you know, you're not going to lie to yourself. I mean, you might, Convince yourself, you know, uh, but when you're really looking at things and I thought it was important to To tell it like was well, not how I'd want it to be Because sometimes you can paint yourself as a little bit of a hero and a good guy all the time You know, it's always the other guy that's the bad yep. guy But uh in this book, there's a lot of situations where I was the bad guy and I have to own that So and I think that's important. I think that's why it's resonating. It wasn't a. have uh, never I've been a lot of things got a lot of jobs, but i've never been a victim so, uh and that was important to talk about that. We've, the victimism in this, in this first world that we're seeing on TV and stuff every day when people are victims to like stuff that literally all they have to do is say no or stop or not follow somebody anymore and not watch a TV. Those aren't real problems to me. So, uh, And I think we get away from the real issues that we're dealing with uh, when we get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter and, and is, makes for talking points on uh, TV.
1: Big time. It's a big, big problem. Uh, maybe more so from the left than the right, but it could be a little mix of both, where, the, like, the victimism— I is, mean, both sides, yeah. uh,
0: both sides You know, have ridiculousness in it because that's just the way, unfortunately, it is. The problem is is we got to stop giving the microphone to the extreme rights and extreme lefts.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: like, the people who are in the middle who are just going about their day and, and trying to do the best they can— they don't usually have a whole lot of time to get on Twitter and get on the microphone and complain about doing the work. So that's the disconnect. And then this, the media is responsible for trying to convince us that they're the majority. You know, that's, that's where the disconnect is, is because you walk outside your house and you're not seeing a lot of these first world problems that they're claiming about, you know, but you're dealing with real world problems every day. And so there's a huge disconnect. And I think, um, I think most people are kind of getting smart to the, media stuff and the angles and they're starting to look more into things and question things, which is always good.
1: Do you think fake news, you know, as Trump said it, is, is that like as prevalent as we think it is? We weren't aware of it. Now we're super aware of it. Is it yeah, really as I,
0: prevalent? Yeah. I think it, I think the problem is, is that when, when Twitter's your scoop and your source, yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of that uh, journalism, great journalists. We used to never know who they were. We knew the story. You know, and we've seen a, and I'm not a journalist like I'm a, I'm a comedian and I give my uh, educated opinion on uh, what I when I look at a situation and I try to find some humor. In it. that's my role at, at, at Fox News. I don't uh, I've never come. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I said, but I give my best spin on it. But I don't. It's not the gospel. And when you get people claiming to be journalists who go on TV every night giving their opinions, that's a problem. Uh, and they're not doing the work. And we're seeing that with a lot of uh situations where there has to be a retraction written <clears throat> because did isn't association or they just were so in such a rush to get it out because it you know, it news has become profit. So you get a hot takeout and it's not accurate, but it gets you going viral and all kinds of hits in your newspaper, it's a win for them and then they'll just fix it later and page, you know, forty five of the of the internet paper. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's an issue.
1: It's pretty sad though, to think like you have to almost like double trickle triple check, you know, these jur- journalists, quote unquote, like these guys, cause you're like, wait, that can't be true. Like, you know, they'll report one thing about Ukraine, then over here reporting another thing. It's like, you almost have to triple check everybody. It's nuts.
0: Yeah. Well, you, I mean, honestly you should anyways, whenever you're trying to get to the truth, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Um, and the middle is, uh, a wider lane than it used to be because people stretch everything so far and you also have to i think you have to watch a lot of times you need to research and look at things you disagree with to see where they're coming from see a lot of times when we're dealing with you know they say left right or whatever you know progressive or Tea party or whatever the situation is uh, when you don't educate yourself on where they're coming from you have no dialogue because you have to find common ground somewhere. You have to know something about, you know, even wrestling. You just don't walk in and just wrestle a guy. You, you know him. You film study him. You don't just, you know, you try to find things that you can take advantage of and, and similarities and things they're good at and their strengths.
1: It's the same thing
0: in, in life is it, when you don't bother to research, you just go, well, they, they disagree with me, so they're wrong. You know, they're the devil or they're a horrible person or they're this or they're that. It's a lot easier and sensationalizing making them into a real villain. And it also makes it to where you don't have to be accountable, you know, because, well, I don't like them. Why? Well, because they're they're liars and scoundrels and they're all the same. Well, okay, well, we've heard that talk before, but now it's being used on someone's political beliefs. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same formula. They just change the hat. And then, you know, unfortunately, people still put those hats on and fall for that, for that stuff. But we just have to be, you have to make informed opinions. And the one thing about having so much, Access, you know, with the Internet and stuff is you should be able to look and sift through what's, you know, BS and what's not. And you need to question and challenge things. I, you know, it's, but also it shouldn't be a full time job. You should not be on the Internet every day looking at news angles and conspiracy theories and things like that. You need to live your life and put things in perspective. You know, most people's political hat only goes on during voting time. The rest of the time they're trying to raise the family and work and do what they need to do to be better them, And we need to remind ourselves of that.
1: Definitely. It's pretty funny. Like in the book, I know so many people probably m- mention like, oh, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, like to you. But it's funny. It's like Snoop Dogg and then Dana Perino. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like yep. such a wide range, right? You get, you get that a lot. Yeah. Like, wow, what a, you know, what a wide ranging guy.
0: Well, you know, success mirrors and although Dana Perino and Snoop Dogg have clearly different careers, but they have the same kind of work ethic. To get where they're at, and when you're trying to be the best at something, uh, and you have the opportunity to be around people who have uh, done really well with success and wearing different hats and doing different things, um, getting under their tree of knowledge is invaluable. I mean, you it just you're learning from you know two of the best in terms of getting getting work done, doing well, doing things at a high level multitasking so they have a lot of things in common although their genres are clearly very different but you'll find that with successful people there tends to be similarities in terms of preparation and uh, Snoop is always prepared and uh, you don't see all lot of that because of what you you know what you see uh, as the artist and the performer but behind the scenes he's uh, he's a rolls the sleeves up work guy and, and Dana Prino is the exact same thing like she's always working like she's always um, she's one of the, one of like, one of the last true great journalists. She tells the story she, and when she gives an opinion, uh, her personal opinion, she lets you know before she does it, you know, she reports the news as it is. And I respect that about her a lot. So always learning from her.
1: It's almost the same thing with like your wrestling career and, and Gutfeld. It's like you're the bodyguard for Alberto Del Rio. And then you're the bodyguard, quote unquote, bodyguard for Greg right. Gutfeld, who's a you know, hilarious, great uh, comedian. It's almost like the same thing. It's like, wow, what you know, what an interesting life. Like, wow, crazy to go from one world extreme to the other.
0: Yeah. Oh, at the end of the day, you got to have talent. So whatever you're going to do, uh, bodyguarding is about uh, being street smart and obviously being able to throw the hands a little bit and you have to be uh, aggressive, but people have to respect you and uh, being intelligent helps a lot. So, uh, and then with Fox, you know, just coming on and just filling my my lane that no one else has, no one does what I do. No one shows up to work with their hat on backwards and just tells it like he's, he's thinking it. So, um, so as I grew, the more things I was able to do at a high level, the more independent I got to be. You know, and now I'm my own cat. I don't stand behind anybody anymore and um, way up in front. So but again, they always look at, you know, working with Alberto was great. Uh, El Presidente, as I like to call him, uh, you know, being a part of that, you know, the few few with Edge and Christian was uh, was every day was a learn, figure out a different thing. But it was fun. And also uh, when you know you can play at a high level, it's it's uh, it's a great confidence booster.
1: What's, like, the big misconception about you? Because I feel like even in wrestling and then in politics, do you feel like there is a big misconception about you?
0: No, I think the problem is people don't know. uh, I don't talk a lot about my personal life very much, and I really separate uh, the two. I also, um, when it's my, like, when I'm off work, you very rarely catch me on social media and stuff. So uh, I have a like, a lot of times I'll hear you know, because I'm a wrestler, a bodyguard that I'm super aggressive or, you know, or that, um, they try to like make up situate like, oh, he's a teddy bear. I always hear that a lot. Like, oh, he's a really sweetheart. And I'm like, uh, you don't really, I wouldn't characterize myself as a teddy bear. I'm very sarcastic and uh, right. very, uh, kind of a smart ass a lot so i I like when i i see when people describe me who don't actually know me it's it's kind of entertaining to me a little bit like uh i can baby face it up with the best of them, but i got a little heel streak in me from time to time so uh people who don't know me they when they try to tell me because i i enjoy that a little bit i like i like hearing the different scenarios of me you know but with with me it's pretty easy though what you see is what you get so
1: I feel like in wrestling too, it's like okay, he's this ginormous guy. He, he's a bodyguard. This, but then doing the Funkosaurus and being Brodus Clay, even that kind of throws, you know, throws you for a loop a little bit. It's like, wow, this guy has personality. He could dance. He could talk. Like you know what I mean? Even even in wrestling, there was a little bit of that.
0: Well, it couldn't help because that's who I was in the back. I mean, the American Dream, uh, Dusty Rose, when he took me under his wing. The reason why he took me under his wing is my mouth was as big as his. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I could talk, I could talk it all day. It's just that uh, I did what was asked of me in wrestling. And, uh, you know, I had a lot more in my bucket, but sometimes to build the card, to play your role, it was uh, when I was with Alberto, it was his time to shine. So it wasn't my time. My, My work would get me to the next level. I needed to be snug. I needed to be aggressive. I needed to fall on the fall on the sword for alberto you know because that's what my role was and I took it and I did it at a high level i always knew that there would come a time when the mic would fall in my hand and i would be able to show my skill set so i would be ready you don't always have to show it all the first time you know and and you kind of build it but um <clears throat> fcw they they all knew about it cuz i would do dusty like stuff and i would at practice i was always talking trash and making jokes it's just who i was and um when uh, I made jokes in the locker room one night and apparently the boss man, Mr. McMahon, was walking by and he heard me cracking jokes. And he, you know, his thing is he loves the dance. Like that's, Vince likes to sing and dance. You know, if you've seen any of his stuff coming up when he was, especially when he was younger, he was, you know, that was his thing. And he has a real passion for it. So if he wants to, you know, and somehow he equated... Cracking jokes and being a smartass with dancing. Don't tell me how you connect the two, but that's what he wanted. And uh, when it got thrown to me, I was like, can I go to Dusty for a week or two and kind of figure it out? And they said, sure. And then I got with Dusty, and he was like, you know, you just got to, you know, you're mine. So you got to do it like I would do it. When they put the polka dots on me, did I complain? I had had a family to feed, so I did it. He's like, so they're putting you in a a red tracksuit, so what are you going to do with it? You know, are you that are you that good? Are you so good no matter what they throw at you? You make it work or are you one dimensional and all you can do is be a heel, you know, and he threw the challenge at me and I accepted it. And I looked at that way. And when I look back at the Funkasaurus, I think that's probably my greatest contribution um, to the wrestling world. It was a little bit of a, a. or rewind a little taste for a lot of the younger fans to get a taste of what it's like to be in the ring with junkyard dog or the American dream dusty road. So I take a lot of, uh, or Johnny Valiant. I take a lot of pride uh, in having a character like that, that, and when the time came to, you know, to put hands, you you know, Funkasaurus could do that. Old Brodus Clay could do that. But, you know, dancing with the kids and stuff in the ring. is And it's funny because, you know, time flies so fast. You'll have people that will stop you and be like, "Hey, I was in the ring with you in Jacksonville, Florida," and you're like, "Oh, hey, okay, cool, man," you know. And that's like you, you're a happy, you're a happy memory for somebody who went to an event, and that's kind of what the goal of being a professional wrestler is all about. You know, you send them away with a memory, and you want them to come right back next week. So, uh, so I, I, I'm very proud of of the as I talk in fourth person, I guess. I'm very proud of the very proud of the Funkasaurus and, and uh Brodis
1: Clay. Who's like na- idea is the name Funkosaurus and Planet Funk and the Funkadactyls? Who's that?
0: Okay. So I was working out at Hard Knock South uh with Rob McIntyre. Uh he's Cena's trainer and Cena had opened up uh his private gym for uh us and I became a member of Hard Knock South. And I would one of the nice things about going in there is, you know, you go in there and you're working out, but you're also in an environment, you're in a, a athletic environment with uh, people in the business. So you kind of throw things on the wall while you're trying to figure something out. And I didn't like any of the names they had came up with. So um, we were just trying to think and, and uh, Rob McIntyre has a tremendous mu- background in music. Like he plays the bass and drums and, you know, he's really into music and, and lyrics and stuff. So we were just messing around trying to think of a, you know, what are we going to do with this? And uh, Bootsy Collins uh, video was on or something like that. And I was like, you know, something funky. I don't know. You know, and then it was just like, there's all kinds of stuff that came out. And then out of nowhere, I think it was, you know, it was Rob or me that said Funkosaurus. Oh, he's like, Funkosaurus. Like, yeah. And then we started laughing about it. You know, Funkadactyls was easy because it was like, oh well, the Funkadactyls, you know, the Funkosaurus and the Funkadactyls. I'm sure there was no way at all that there was a Flintstone reference in there at all. And then um, (laughs) it just kind of came together. And then originally Matt Stryker, uh, when he was announcing me on Superstars, uh, he always said I was from Planet X. So, uh, you know, so Planet X became Planet Funk. So, I mean, it took it took a village to come up with all the ideas and. Uh, even uh the dancing to the ring and stuff king haku was telling me like to do this more smile more and then one one of the toughest guys to ever put on a pair of tights is telling you what you know how to dance and have fun out there and how much he loved it then you do it so like i said i had a lot of positive uh in my peers i mean, kofi and uh tavita and just uh you know big e and all the guys would come around and they would all support when i do the rehearsals coming out and stuff so i mean it was it wasn't a, it was a really positive time.
1: Pretty cool. Like Dusty and Haku are, are, are big proponents yeah. of the character.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. They had a huge hand in it. Dusty take full, Dusty rest his soul. If he was here, would take full credit for everything he did. He would literally say, you owe me a check, Brodus. <laughs> you should be sending me a check every week because I gave you gold. I gave you jewels and you're doing something with it. So, uh, as he said, I painted my canvas and I still continue to do that.
1: What do you think is the best piece of advice Dusty ever gave to you?
0: Uh, Just what I just said. Um, He, it was my last actual day uh, with the WWE and I went to the performance center. I wasn't booked on the road. I went to the performance center to roll around because it'd been like a week or two and I started getting stiff. And um, usually when I would go in there, there'd be a bunch of wrestlers and stuff in there, but uh, I went in there and there, for some reason there was nobody in there and it was just him. So I don't know if he arranged it or whatever. And he was playing Neil Diamond because he liked to, you know, and just in the in the room and I'm rolling around the ring and he came in, I heard the music come on and he came in and he was just sitting there. told me to come sit with him for a while. So I did. And he started talking to me about uh, how I need to paint my canvas that, that I have not reached my full potential. And some of that is being held back some of that's on me he's like but you got to find you know what balance and you got to paint your your canvas you got to tell your story you got to do it your way you can't do it their way uh you know if you're frustrated you got to look at things and what you're going to do and and he just kept ta- he just kept pushing about painting my canvas telling us you know what's going to be my my legacy how am i going to be remembered in this business And uh, I took it to heart, and I didn't know that would be the last time that we'd ever spoke, but it was, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I was released the next day, so he probably knew, but he's old school through and through, and he wouldn't be teaching me a lesson if he would have told me. So it was another life lesson from him, and a great one, because I did paint my canvas, and I was inspired to show them that uh, they made a mistake on me, and I think I've accomplished that. So... Um, that yeah that would be the most i mean he had a million i mean a million half the time i was with him we rarely talked about wrestling it was about life so uh but you know some of those things are private but um, that's probably the biggest thing from the american dream was to paint my own canvas and i use that term all the time
1: i know you mentioned getting released and stuff but do you have a high point there like was it like the wrestlemania thing like what, what was the, the high point for you when you were there
0: oh there's a lot of them um you know, ripping Edge's arm through the post at WrestleMania was pretty cool. Um, Having matches with TJ Wilson in Mexico and, you know, tearing the house down. Uh, Every every time I was in the ring with Heath Slater or or, or, uh, Sandow was just having fun. Tagging with Santino was the best. I mean, I can't... They're really, like I said, the the only... Bad time in the WWE was downtime because you tend to overthink. And there was a lot of overthinking. But uh, there was, I mean, I uh, was the first opening match in Russia. Uh, you know, I think I wrestled, it was JTG. I wrestled in Russia. Um, walking out in the Staples Center to a packed house, chanting Funkasaurus was pretty cool. I mean, there's, there's so many. There's just so many. There's still, and I'm still on my canvas uh, with my wrestling uh brush so um yeah i really i really can't like i said i don't focus and if you focus on the the bad times or whatever if you really look at it you have to take responsibility you know your attitude and being frustrated and you know things like that but that's part of the beast that's the nature of the beast and uh it's you know that's why only a select few do it at a high level
1: what about now? I know, obviously, you just one Always Ready, beat Mims. Like, how, What do you think now about NWA in your position? And sometimes wearing the title on TV.
0: Yeah, I wear the title on TV pretty much every time I'm on it. Uh, and the, that's for two reasons. One, I'm the current NWA World Television Champion. And two, uh, NWA is history. And I think it's important to forget where you, where you came from. And um, the NWA is a different style. It's an older style it's more of the traditional style. It's less loops and flips and backgrounds and stuff and more story-driven, aggressive, uh, physical uh, wrestling. And that's kind of our niche and I'm enjoying it. And uh, I mean, beating Mims uh, soundly at uh always ready. I'm now, you know, I've uh, originally it was, you know, you had seven title defenses with a world television championship and then you could, Cashing in for a title shot, but I just felt a a prestigious title like you don't cash that in. So um, I would say by hands down, I'm the one contender for 10 pounds of gold. So, uh, you know, my goal is to unify the titles and uh, like the United uh, like. uh, the Midnight Express did with the United States Tag Team Championships and the World Tag Team Championships. So uh, yes, they had to surrender the United States Tag Champions after that, but at least for one day or one TV taping, uh, they were unified tag team champions. So uh, my goal is for one day be the unified World Television NWA champion, at least for one day, then surrender the title and then go from there. But, you know, Trevor Murdoch's uh, he just recaptured his. So I'm not sure he's in a huge rush to let it go yet, but uh, I'm gonna have to convince him of that at a later time and date. But I'm having fun.
1: That's awesome. Are you always a, a big fan? Because that's a great, uh, you know, a great uh, history lesson with uh, Midnight Express. Were you always a big fan?
0: Obsessed, obsessed. I can I cannot tell you how many whoopings I got sneaking up, watching uh, the Saturday Night main event or. Running in the house on, to watch Superstation TBS, or getting up at eight in the morning to watch Mid South. Like I, I was watching it constantly, you know, Saturday mornings at eleven o'clock, and then Tuesday nights get my homework done so I can watch TNT or primetime wrestling. Like I was hooked, absolutely hooked.
1: Wow! I realized you were such a fan. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, called a historian. So when I come to venues and events, I will find the oldest veteran in the building and let the game let the mind picking begin. So.
1: Uh, yeah, do you have an all time favorite? All time
0: favorite, uh, probably. Um, I love the American Dream in uh, WCW and Georgia Championship Wrestling, and and he came, but my fate, the wrestler that just whenever he came out, I would run to the TV was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorf. Like, Mr. Wonderful was just how he would take forever to get in the ring. I just would, it would make, it would just make me laugh. And I would just be like, he'd do the whole thing where he'd push his hand back. And I was doing that at school all the time. You know, I was just yep. absolutely obsessed. Uh, Andre the Giant, I was a big fan of Andre the Giant. Anybody in the Heenan family <clears throat> got my vote, uh, except for brother. But, um, <clears throat> and uh, and then the other side, you know, the the horsemen were, where it was at, but you know, Dusty and uh, Nikita, and uh, how they switched out Barry Windham and Lex Luger, and all that stuff. I was hooked on all that. Like, I it was not, there was not. I mean, I even watched GWF at ESPN when I stayed home sick from school, so I mean, yeah. it was just not anything wrestling that I didn't watch and still don't watch. I still do uh, film study literally every day. I'm doing something, watching a match, trying to find something new here and there. Because you're always learning. And as soon as you stop learning uh, in wrestling, it's time to move on.
1: That's awesome. That's such a great fan. I used to watch Global uh, when I got home from school, you know, I mean, and, and pop it on ESPN back back in the day. But uh, yeah. great, great reference. Mr. Wonderful, that's a good one. Him and Hogan, man. Whew, what an awesome feud, man. They made a ton of money. And uh,
0: he was just, yeah, he, I remember uh, when he lost, when he got pinned at WrestleMania, I cried
1: really I was,
0: <laughs> yeah, so mad at bob Orton for hitting him with the cast i was furious
1: I couldn't it believe was it was all uh... why, why
0: they didn't blame bob why did you, why are you blaming him bob hit him with the cast and never got you know piper and him breaking up that be pissed off so uh but that's when but that feeling that that anticipation of being hooked and when you're a kid and you're hooked on a wrestling there's nothing It's it's just, and I know times are different now, but when you have the internet and stuff and you didn't know, you know, the magic trick or whatever, and all you had to do was sit back and believe. That's what made wrestling so great.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember I was really little when Hogan lost to Warrior. I hated Warrior for, like, for years. I, You know, I never forgave him for for beating Hogan. I mean, it's it's those kind of moments when you're, like, a true fan. You know, you get so invested in it.
0: Yep, you throw down your walk away from it and you say it's stupid and you get mad and you'll you there's no way there's no way he should have kicked out of that it's just a leg drop <laughs> <laughs> all the time but uh something about hogan's leg drop is just better than everybody else's i guess
1: yeah come on he's 6'8 and he gets that height
0: and one, you
1: know yeah but as he's 6'8
0: that makes me 6'10 but oh good um, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah true <laughs> So as we wind it down, we head towards the finish here. Like, what's next for you? What, what do you got on tap for us?
0: Well, I've got a, I got got I got book signings. Of course, I've got the pay per view uh, August twenty seventh, twenty eighth at the Chase, St. Louis. I'll be defending my title there. Uh, I'm not sure my opponent yet; is yet to be named. Uh, but I'm I'm getting ready for that. Uh, I got book signings that are coming all over the country. So stay tuned for that. And of course. Uh, You can catch me on uh, the Greg Gutfeld Show and uh, all kinds of shows on Fox News pretty much uh, Tuesday through Friday. So, uh, you know, then the Gutfeld Show is 11 o'clock at night. And then, of course, you can always uh, check me out on uh, Instagram is Tyrus Smash and uh, Twitter is Planet Tyrus. Both verified. Those are the only two. Sorry. Those are the only two forms of social media I have, and they're both verified. So if it's not a blue check and it's not an Instagram or a Twitter, it is not me.
1: Give us one last push push for the book and where everybody can get it. Just Tyrus, a memoir. Uh,
0: Just Tyrus, you can get it uh, where all books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, Books a Million. Uh, They are back in stock. We're on our third reprint, so they're back in stock. So you should be able to get it within 24 to 48 hours now. So I know uh, things have slowed down when it was like two months, but uh, we're back. Uh, back orders are being all filled, I believe, to this point. So we are back rolling, and the audio, the audio book, which is done by me, drops, I believe, July 7th. So you'll um, be able to get the audio. Uh, it's, you'll not only be able to hear my words, you'll be hearing my words as I read it. So uh, that was a, that was a fun process, but I got it done.
1: Nice. Tyrus, thank you uh, so much for all the time. And obviously we'll see you in the NWA. We'll see you on Gutfeld. And we got to check out the book, Just Tyrus, a memoir. So thank you so much for all the time.
0: Thank you, man. Have a good day.
1: This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube.